Audio 12.1 Speaker 1 Many parents have a second child for the sake of their first, to stop them being lonely and spoilt. But that's just a stereotype, and I believe one child is ideal. Having one child has enabled me to devote plenty of time, money and energy to her. In my view, the more kids you have, the less time and energy you are able to give to each one. I also know that if I'd had more children, I'd have been less happy, as I'd have had to give up too much in my life. And to have a happy child, you need to be a happy parent. Speaker 2 I have four children. I didn't plan for, but that's how many I've got. And in retrospect, I now believe that's the perfect number. The idea of having fewer or more is as unthinkable as having fewer or more arms or legs. Of course, the physical strain of bringing up four is enormous, but the joy each one brings is immeasurable. Although our home sometimes feels like a zoo, and we are like a travelling circus whenever we go abroad, there is great comfort in being part of a six-member team. Having an even number means each child has an automatic playmate. If two are playing together, the other ones have each other and don't feel left out. Speaker 3 I believe we have a responsibility to be mindful of the world's growing population. Each baby we bring into the world puts extra pressure on the world's resources – energy, food, forests, water and so forth. And people from rich countries use more than their fair share of these resources. For that reason, I feel no couple should have more than two children one to replace each parent. I read the other day that if every couple in a rich country had one less child, they would save 9,441 tonnes of carbon dioxide over their lifetime. Makes you think, doesn't it? Audio 12.2 Speaker 4 I'd like to make the case for not having children. Society puts a lot of pressure on us to have children, but it's not right for everyone. There are countless reasons why I chose to be child-free. If I'd had children, I wouldn't have so much time now to devote to my husband and my career. I'd have very little privacy. My beautiful house would be full of plastic toys. My travels would be limited to school vacations and child-friendly destinations. And I could list dozens more reasons. Speaker 5 I'm in favour of having as many children as you can manage. I'd say at least six is the ideal number. When you raise a large family, in my case seven, you create a little community that supports itself through the ups and downs of life. 
Friends often quote school fees as being a reason not to have a large family. But if you're lucky enough to live in a country with great state schools, then that isn't an issue. There are those that say that having lots of children is ecologically irresponsible. But my family are productive, taxpaying, environmentally aware, and all contribute positively to society. Speaker 6 I didn't mean to have three children. The second of my pregnancies produced twins, and, as a result, I ended up with what I believe is the ideal number. Three children means three sibling relationships. So, if two of the siblings fall out or are on bad terms, at least they've got another sibling to turn to. The other thing, and I know this sounds selfish, but let's be honest about it. The more children you have, the greater the chances that at least one of them will be successful enough to support me financially and care for me in my old age. Audio 12.3 Speaker 1 Many parents have a second child for the sake of their first, to stop them being lonely and spoilt. But that's just a stereotype, and I believe one child is ideal. Having one child has enabled me to devote plenty of time, money and energy to her. In my view, the more kids you have, the less time and energy you are able to give to each one. I also know that if I'd had more children, I'd have been less happy, as I'd have had to give up too much in my life. And to have a happy child, you need to be a happy parent. Speaker 2 I have four children I didn't plan for, but that's how many I've got. And in retrospect, I now believe that's the perfect number. The idea of having fewer or more is as unthinkable as having fewer or more arms or legs. Of course, the physical strain of bringing up four is enormous, but the joy each one brings is immeasurable. Although our home sometimes feels like a zoo, and we are like a travelling circus whenever we go abroad, there is great comfort in being part of a six-member team. Having an even number means each child has an automatic playmate. If two are playing together, the other ones have each other and don't feel left out. Speaker 3 I believe we have a responsibility to be mindful of the world's growing population. Each baby we bring into the world puts extra pressure on the world's resources – energy, food, forests, water and so forth. And people from rich countries use more than their fair share of these resources. For that reason, I feel no couple should have more than two children one to replace each parent. I read the other day that if every couple in a rich country had one less child, they would save 9,441 tonnes of carbon dioxide over their lifetime. Makes you think, doesn't it?
Speaker 4. I'd like to make the case for not having children. Society puts a lot of pressure on us to have children, but it's not right for everyone. There are countless reasons why I chose to be child-free. If I'd had children, I wouldn't have so much time now to devote to my husband and my career. I'd have very little privacy. My beautiful house would be full of plastic toys. My travels would be limited to school vacations and child-friendly destinations. And I could list dozens more reasons. Speaker 5 I'm in favour of having as many children as you can manage. I'd say at least six is the ideal number. When you raise a large family, in my case seven, you create a little community that supports itself through the ups and downs of life. Friends often quote school fees as being a reason not to have a large family, but if you're lucky enough to live in a country with great state schools, then that isn't an issue. There are those that say that having lots of children is ecologically irresponsible, but my family are productive, taxpaying, environmentally aware, and all contribute positively to society. Speaker 6 I didn't mean to have three children. The second of my pregnancies produced twins, and, as a result, I ended up with what I believe is the ideal number. Three children means three sibling relationships. So, if two of the siblings fall out, or are on bad terms, at least they've got another sibling to turn to. The other thing, and I know this sounds selfish, but let's be honest about it. The more children you have, the greater the chances that at least one of them will be successful enough to support me financially and care for me in my old age. Audio 12.4 1. I would have done things differently. 2. I might have given it a try. 3. I couldn't have managed on my own. 4. I wouldn't have enjoyed it. Audio 12.5 Regrets, I've had a few. Or so said the great Frank Sinatra in his famous song My Way. And today, we want to hear all about your regrets. Those silly mistakes you've made in life. The things you said or did that you really wish you hadn't. Or those missed opportunities that left you thinking, Oh, if only I could turn back time, I'd do things very differently. Well, now's your chance to call in and get it all off your chest. OK, well, on the line we have Greg from Glasgow. Greg, tell us your regret. My biggest regret is ignoring my dad's advice to buy a flat while properties weren't too expensive. 
He even offered to give me some money for the deposit. This was about six years ago, when a small flat was just about affordable. But I didn't because, well, I don't know. I just couldn't be bothered to save up, and I didn't think there was any hurry, I suppose. Now, even the tiniest flat costs an absolute fortune, and I can't even think about buying one. If only I'd listened to my dad. I could kick myself now. I bet you could. Sorry to hear that, Greg. And I'm sure there are lots of people in your position. Next, we hear from Jade in Bristol. Jade, what happened to you? Something I really regret is the time when a very good friend told me she was splitting up with her boyfriend. I never really liked him and I said, well, I think that's a good decision. And to be honest, I never really understood what you saw in him anyway. She was quite offended by that. And then the inevitable happened. They got back together again. Now things are really awkward between us. So now, of course, I'm thinking, if only I hadn't opened my big mouth. I wish I could be a bit less honest sometimes. Oh, my goodness. Well, you won't be making that mistake again, will you? And next, Bill from London. I regret getting rid of all my LPs. But it was my wife that kind of insisted. She kept going on at me, you know, saying, I wish you'd sell those records. They take up so much space and you never play them. I thought... Well, maybe she has a point. So I did. But I knew it was a mistake instantly. Recently, I've got into listening to records again at a friend's house. I love the sound of records. The covers. So much more enjoyable than digital music. So I've decided to start again with my record collection. It's true. There is something unique about the sound of records. Good luck with rebuilding your collection, Bill. And we've got time for just one more story. Here's Michelle from Manchester. One of my biggest regrets is not standing up to a colleague who used to bully me in my last job. She'd criticise my work, make me look stupid in front of other people and generally do everything she could to knock my confidence. And I just let her do it because I was new to the job and I didn't dare answer back or challenge her behaviour. I wouldn't tolerate it now. I just wish I'd had the courage to challenge her at the time. Bullies, eh? Who needs them? Glad to hear you wouldn't tolerate them now. Well, it's great to hear your stories. Keep them coming in. But first, the news. Audio 12.6 1. If only I'd listened to my dad. 2. Oh, if only I hadn't opened my big mouth. 3. I wish I could be a bit less honest sometimes. 4. I wish you'd sell those records. 5. 
I just wish I'd had the courage to challenge her at the time. Audio 12.7 Every era has a social group that rebels against society in some way. In the 60s it was hippies, in the 70s punks, in the 80s it was goths. Now the latest subculture to hit the international scene is the hipster. But what precisely is a hipster? Here to tell us more about this distinctive group is Carla Nielsen, a future trend spotter who works for a marketing agency. Carla, describe for us the principal characteristics of a hipster. Well, hipsters are young people, in their 20s and 30s usually, who reject mainstream culture. You know, so they're kind of anti-anything that's popular. That includes art, music, clothes, and so on. Instead, they prefer alternative music and fashion. They tend to be well-educated people. Some are students, others are professionals, and many of them work in creative fields like media or publishing, that sort of thing. Audio 12.8 1. They're kind of anti-anything that's popular. 2. That includes art, music, clothes, and so on. 3. Many of them work in creative fields like media or publishing, that sort of thing. Audio 12.9 Recognizing vague language it is very common in spoken English to use vague expressions. We use them, one, when we can't think of a precise word to describe something, kind of, sort of. For example, it's kind of reddish. Two, to say there are more examples in a list or category, and so on, and that kind of thing and that sort of thing, and that type of thing, or whatever, and things like that, and stuff like that, and places like that. For example, the shop sells vintage clothes, records, and that kind of thing. Because the phrases are so common, we say them very quickly, and often don't pronounce parts of the words. For example, kind of sounds like kinda. Sort of sounds like sorta. Like that sounds like like that. And so on sounds like and so on. Audio 12.10 1. His beard is a sort of orange colour. 2. 
Her look is kind of hard to describe. 3. The bike basket's useful for carrying laptops, shopping bags, or whatever. 4. He writes a blog about hipster fashion, music, and stuff like that. 5. He wears formal clothes like ties, waistcoats, and so on. Audio 12.11. One. Hipsters reject mainstream culture music, clothes, books, and stuff like that. Two. Some hipsters are vegan, so they don't eat eggs or milk or whatever. Three. It's a shop that sells old books and posters and so on. Four. He's into 1930s music like jazz, blues, and that kind of thing. Five. She likes the sort of clothes you'd buy from a vintage clothes shop. Six. The area is full of hipster barber shops, cafes, and places like that. Audio 12.12. Or publishing, that sort of thing. And how would I recognize a hipster if I bumped into one in the street? Well, your stereotypical hipster wears tight fitting jeans and large, thick rimmed glasses, whether they need them or not. They wear old fashioned retro style shirts, you know, with checked or flowery patterns, often bought from vintage or secondhand clothes shops. Another typical hipster feature is the long beard or turned up mustache. You rarely see a clean shaven male hipster. And the female hipsters? Well, they're less easy to identify. But like the men, they wear old fashioned clothing, floral patterned dresses or cardigans, the sort of things their grandmothers might have worn. So for hipsters, old fashioned is cool? Yes. And that applies to the things they own. So, they love low tech objects like record players, old style cameras, typewriters, that kind of thing. But what I should explain about hipsters is that they don't actually want to be labeled as hipsters. They don't want to be part of a group. They want to be seen as individuals. Oh, right, I see. And that, I suppose, makes them different from punks or goths or whatever who are happy to identify with these labels. Exactly. So, where do hipsters hang out? Well, there are hipster neighborhoods in many major cities around the world, which are full of trendy hipster cafes, galleries, secondhand shops, and so on. They tend to be districts that are historically poor and run down, but are now fashionable places to live and work. Uh huh. So, so tell me more about the kind of music hipsters are into. Oh, well, all sorts of bands, really, as long as they're obscure and nobody else has heard of them. Hipsters are very critical of mainstream music and of those who like it. The same with film, books, and art. That's why hipsters aren't very popular. They think their tastes are superior to others. I see, I'm getting the picture. So, apart from a taste for little known bands and artists, how else are hipsters different from other people? 
Well, they're anti-consumerism. That's why they like to buy secondhand things and why they believe in mending things when they break, rather than always buying something new. They're also very green, so they buy eco-friendly products like shampoo. A lot of them are vegetarians or vegans. So I presume they like to travel everywhere by bike. Absolutely. In fact, the ultimate cool hipster accessory is the fixed wheel bike, or fixie as they're known. They're sort of like modern versions of retro-style bikes with just one gear. They're the in thing in urban cultures all over the world. You must have seen them around. Yes, I have. So tell me, how does a hipster like to spend their spare time? As you may predict, hipsters are keen on old-fashioned pastimes like knitting, woodwork, growing your own fruit and vegetables, making homemade jam, baking cakes, and stuff like that. But probably the most stereotypical hipster pastime is retro photography, which involves taking photos on a smartphone using an app, which makes the images look as though they were taken with a vintage-style camera. Then posting the images on social media. Oh yes, because hipsters are very keen on showing off their pictures to everyone they know. Really? So my final question to you, as a future trend spotter, do you think hipsterism is here to stay? Well. I think it's already been around long enough to be more than just a passing trend, and it's traveled to many different countries. I think we'll always have this group of young people that value independent thinking and fashion and culture, but like all trends, it will change and evolve. Well, thank you for coming on the program. It's been fascinating. My pleasure. Audio twelve point thirteen. Speaker one. I'm so pleased I decided to change degree courses. I started off doing languages, French and German. I'd always got really excellent grades in them at school, but at university level I just couldn't keep up. I was skipping lectures, not turning up to classes, because I found the whole thing so difficult. Anyway, so I changed to psychology. That was such a good move. I couldn't have wished for a better course. I ended up with a good result in my degree. I'm very grateful to the tutors for being understanding and allowing me to switch. Speaker two. I'm so glad I decided to go and work as a teacher in Istanbul for two years. I'd been working for an accountancy firm in London prior to that, but I knew it wasn't really for me. I wanted to experience life in another country, and Istanbul had always fascinated me. Getting to grips with a new culture and language was quite a challenge at first, but I gained so much from the experience, and it's really helped me to put aspects of my own culture into perspective. So thank goodness I didn't listen to my parents, who tried to dissuade me from giving up my career in accounting. And of course, if I hadn't gone to Turkey, I wouldn't have met my wife. Three. A couple of years ago, I decided to go freelance, and what a good decision that was! I really appreciate having the freedom to do as much or as little work as I want. 
What actually happened was that I was made redundant from my job in advertising. Although it was a terrible shock at the time, a real kick in the teeth, I gradually got over it and started to build up my own advertising consultancy business, which is going very well. In retrospect, losing my job was a blessing in disguise. I don't think I would have had the courage or motivation to set up on my own if I hadn't been forced to by my circumstances. 4. Two years ago, I gave up smoking. I'd been smoking for several years before that. I'd tried to give up a couple of times before, but my motivation was stronger this time because my wife was pregnant with our first child. It's such a relief not to be a slave to cigarettes anymore. And when I think of all the money I wasted, I could really kick myself. Obviously, with hindsight, I should never have started. And I wouldn't have done if I'd known how addictive it would be. But never mind, what's done is done. And there's no point in crying over spilt milk, is there? Audio 12.14 1. I couldn't have wished for a better course. 2. I'm very grateful to the cheaters for allowing me to switch. 3. So thank goodness I didn't listen to my parents. 4. In retrospect, Losing my job was a blessing in disguise. 5. When I think of all the money I wasted, I could really kick myself. 6. With hindsight, I should never have started. 7. What's done is done. 8. There's no point in crying over spilt milk. Audio 12.15 1. Tech 2. Known 3. Fitting 4. Friendly 5. Made 6. Down 7. Shaven